0: We are going to have uh, former President José María Aznar, former President of the Government of Spain, and his keynote speech will be on the Global South and putting emphasis on a, a topic in which he has been so involved, which is the Atlantic Basin. New actors, power shifting challenges for the international order. It's indeed a great thing. To, to have the the opportunity to have President Asnar with us, uh, from the standpoint of uh, of CAF, we have a a lot of gratitude to him because, in fact, when I I wanted to have uh, Spain joining joining CAF, that was in the in the 90s, uh, was precisely during the time he was president of the government that. We got to the point of agreement, and in fact, uh, there was the moment in which Spain became a member of CAF. And as I told you this morning, in addition to Spain, uh, another country that became a member outside the Caribbean and the Latin countries is Portugal. And indeed, the relationship with Spain has been very very prosperous. Uh, We have worked together through the years in good times and bad times. And indeed, that's a very very important element I wanted to mention. But let me say that President Asnari is is quite a a statesman. He's a man who who has been involved in in politics in his country as leader of the PPP for, for many years. And then, of course, after having in elections, He became president of the government two terms and, and as you will recall that was a very prosperous period in the economic and political history of Spain. Uh, we saw growth, we, have, we saw that uh, during his uh, presidency the links with the Atlantic uh, became a reality, uh, the adoption of the Euro and very strong relationship with, with the rest of the world after concluding his term, and he decided to do that because he could have stayed longer, I'm sure. But he has not gone just to take a break, but he has continued to be a leader in issues that touch, uh, you know, upon precisely some of the topics that we have uh, selected for this important conference. And one of the great contributions that President Asnar uh, is making in many years is precisely to revive a, a concept of the relevance of the Atlantic Basin. The Atlantic Basin, in terms of looking, we are so infiltrated sometimes with, especially in Latin America, with things that are happening in in Asia, which is very important, no doubt. But sometimes we are forgetting about the links and the traditions and the past in the relationship of Latin America and Europe. And here comes the concept of looking at the Atlantic and having Canada, the United States, Central America, South America, Europe, and parts of Africa. Very relevant. And I'm sure that President Aznar will touch upon this topic with eloquence, but in addition to that, he is a man that knows very well the... Geopolitical spectrum, all the relevant issues of the world today that we mentioned issues of terrorism, issues of security, issues that have been discussed during the day, and all the implications that it has for not only uh, Europe, um, but for Latin America and the world. So, uh, Jose Maria, very honored, very pleased to have you with us, and we look forward to you your presentation. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you you very much, Mr. Enrique Garcia, President of uh, Development Bank of Latin America, Mr. Allen, my friend, President Lagos, and uh, Secretary Insulza, Ambassadors, especially if you let me, uh, Spanish Ambassador. Uh, distinguished guests, students, and ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for, for this opportunity, this invitation. Given that this is uh, the first public speech I delivered since the atrocious shootings in Paris last week. Please allow me to convey my deepest condolences to the families of the victims and the French people as a whole. As millions of freedom-loving people around the world, I was shocked by the brutality of these cowardly acts against defenseless journalists, cartoonists, policemen and ordinary bystanders. I would like to say here before you that these attacks are an isolated event and and that the Western world and its core values and principles are safe and well. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that is not the case. Hard times are coming. The Jihadist terrorists will certainly Trying to hit us again and even harder, for instance, yesterday in Belgium. We must be ready to face this daunting threat, which imperils our values and our freedoms. We are all Charlie, right? But the Paris shootings raise the very same issues raised by the previous attacks in London, Madrid, New York, or Washington DC. Is there a clear strategy in order to face the challenge posed by radical islamism against the west its values and freedoms? Are we achieving the badly need consensus on the proper ways to integrate Muslim communities in our countries? Have we devised the right strategies to prevent radicalization in those same communities? I must say that, so far, those questions have been poorly addressed. The liquidation of Osama bin Laden led to premature euphoria in the U.S. and its European allies, which came to believe that Al-Qaeda was finished and that Jihadist terrorism was no longer in condition to attack. To attack Europe or the U.S. lurking long wolves Notwithstanding, the rise of of the self proclaimed Islamic State in Syria and Iraq proves that those optimistic conclusions were rash and inaccurate at best. American ground troops are back in Iraq and the mission in Afghanistan has been effectively. Extended. As for Libya, the North Africa country has descended into chaos, lacking a unified and effective government, and infested with armed militia and jihadist groups, some of them aligned with the IS. But whether we like it or not, we have no alternative but to fight jihadism on our own soil. And we are not dealing with lone wolves with limited means to kill, but with perfectly trained and armed radicals who show no mercy or pity when it comes to murdering in cold blood. Some people in the West don't play the seriousness of the threat, arguing that jihadists and Salafists are a minority within Islam, which, strictly speaking, is true. There are others who simply put the blame of Muslim radicalization on the West itself, due to its meddling on the Middle East and is alleged fellow to integrate Muslim communities living within its borders. Nevertheless, the conflict is real and if not a class of civilizations, at least is an acrimonious dispute on basic principles such as freedom, equality before the law the rule of law, representative democracy, and the autonomy of the civil society from the holistic worldview typical of Islam. Political correctness and rampant weak thought, two of the scourges of the Western world today, weaken the very concept of citizenship, and thus facilitate the rise of loyalties based on the identity of a group or religion. The appeal of jihadism, not only among those radicalized Muslims willing to kill, but also among those who sympathize with them, exemplifies the vacuum and civic uprooting that allow for the rule of law to be replaced by the Sharia. The contemporary world of nation-states, dear friends, based on the Westphalian system devised after the Thirty Years' War, has striven to curtail the anarchical nature of the world with an extensive network of international legal and organizational structures. These have been designed to foster open trade Establish accepted principles of resolving international disputes and set limits of the conduct of war when they do occur. But as Henry Kissinger warned us in his latest book, this rules-based system faces daunting challenges. There is no longer a shared definition of the common system or understanding of what a fair contribution to it would be. Outside the Western world, regions that have played a minimal role in these rules, original formulations, question their validity and are now working to change them. Ironically, while the concept of international community is invoked now more than ever before, it provides no clear or agreed set of goals, methods or limits. We live in a disordered world. The democratic world envisaged by the American President George H. W. Bush in the wake of the Gulf War is now chimerical. And now here is the disorder more obvious than in the Middle East. In the coming years, this region will likely consist of mostly weak states, unable to control large chunks of their territory, militias and terrorist groups acting with increasing brutality and both civil war and interstate conflict. Sectarian and communal identities will be more powerful than national ones. Fueled by vast supplies of natural resources, power for local actors will continue to meddle in neighbouring countries' internal affairs, and major outside actors will remain enabled or unwilling to stabilize the region. Needless to say, the continuing instability in the Middle East will aggravate the grave security problem for the Western world posed by perfectly trained jihadist terrorists holding European or American passports. I must be stressed that the international order underpinned by the United Nations and base and rules and institutions had its major assets in the transatlantic link. Indeed, the reconstruction of Europe would not have been possible without the Marshall Plan and the American commitment to the security of Western Europe, a commitment which led to the creation of the Atlantic Alliance in 1949. Security came first. Security allowed for reconstruction. And eventually, security and reconstruction made cooperation (laughs) and progress possible. If the principles and institutions which enable freedom to thrive were not grass in Europe during the Second World War, and its aftermath was thanks to the determined involvement of the United States and the forging of the Atlantic Alliance. The rousing victories of 1945 against Nazi Germany and on 1989 against the Soviet Union exemplify the extraordinary success of the transatlantic link. But it must be said that the fall of the Berlin Wall and the subsequent collapse of the USSR misled us to believe that history had ended in dialectical terms and that both capitalism and liberal democracy will be indefinitely unchallenged. This misconception, along with the unipolar world, which emerged from the demise of the Soviet Union, were obliterated by the 9-11 attacks in New York and Washington, D.C. The subsequent world system was inherently fragmented, multipolar, and thus potentially unstable. In such a chaotic world, the transatlantic link is arguably more necessary than ever. I am convinced the Atlantic Alliance still is the best instrument to protect the security and prosperity of Western societies. And it is true that the global center of gravity is shifting from the Atlantic to the Asia-Pacific region. Even the current administration in the United States has talked about a pivot, a mistake, by the way, later toward Asia, later called uh, rebalancing. But two things must be said of this issue. Firstly, that this is not an inevitable process. Secondly, that the Western world which encompass both sides of the Atlantic can and must do something in order to reverse this phenomenon. I am a staunch Atlantifist, and as such, I argue that it will be a mistake to underestimate this region's potential. But I am talking not only of North America and Europe, but of the Atlantic Basin as a whole. Indeed, with 66 countries and 32 territories from North America to South America, from Europe to Africa, the Atlantic Basin is blessed with a population that is, for the most part, young and full of promise. The region holds significant reserves of energy and raw and rare materials. Many of these countries have political institutions with common roots and values. Furthermore, the Atlantic region is fast becoming a microcosm of a globalized world. Flows of capital, people, trade, and unfortunately, As well as drugs and organized crime, are rocketing in what is becoming the world's energy reservoir with the most heavily traveled ocean and the richest fishing resources. True, in the Atlantic basin, as elsewhere, there are grave inequalities and, in some places, weak. Democratic institutions. But the problems and differences are not the radical divergences to be found in other regions, including some parts of Asia. The trend in the Atlantic is toward integration, meaning there is almost unlimited potential to develop. For four years now, I have been leading. A project and the Center for Transatlantic Relations of the Johns Hopkins University to promote an Atlantic Basin initiative to further develop this potential. More than 100 officials and experts have been involved in this enterprise. Our views are condensed in the report A New Atlantic Community released last year in Washington. In it, we make a specific recommendation of five areas where agreements among the region's major actors will have profound benefits. The first area is energy. The Atlantic Basin now accounts far more than a third of global oil and gas production. It hosts nearly sixty percent of the technically recoverable shale gas reserves worldwide, 12% of conventional gas reserves, and 40% of the world's proven petroleum reserves. The International Energy Agency expects the U.S. to overtake Russia this year as the leading producer of natural gas and to overtake Saudi Arabia in 2017 as the world's leading producer of oil. Among other contenders, Brazil is promoting world-class energy industries. Offshore discoveries in Ghana, Suriname, Guyana, Namibia, Morocco, Argentina will certainly be prominent on the future world energy map. But no framework exists yet to allow for deepening deep transnational collaboration. An Atlantic Energy Forum could tackle the pressing problems of the energy access and sustainable development across the whole region. The second area ripe for cooperation is in economic growth and human development. The Atlantic Basin is the most important and successful commercial region in the world. The U.S. and the European Union account for 50% of the world's total gross domestic product and 30% of its total commercial transactions goods and services exchanges in the Atlantic area reach 2 billion euros or 2.7 billion dollars every day. I don't know exactly the change today. Latin America and Africa are experiencing higher growth rates. Their consumers are increasingly demanding new products and services, and in coming years, the coastal regions of both continents will become major engines of the global economy. But great challenges remain. Inequality, inequalities among Atlantic countries and within them are the main obstacle to reaching the region's potential. So, efforts to reduce poverty and intensify cooperation on development must go hand-in-hand hand with free trade and open markets. The third area is our common OCEAN. The strategies to exploit the untapped potential of the OCEANs are fashionable everywhere, but we need to undertake them jointly. Challenges such as rising sea levels, sustainable fisheries, and maritime security and governance cannot be overcome without regional cooperation. This is why our reports call for the creation of the Atlantic Ocean Forum to advance collaborative projects on that ocean that is our common heritage. The fourth area is human security. If drug and human trafficking flows, fever threats, money laundering, corruption, piracy, and terrorism remain unchecked, check, they will undermine global trade, regional development, and political stability in the region. Nations of the Atlantic must take common actions to deal with those threats, and challenges. The fifth and final area in need of development is the culture of lawfulness and effective democratic governance. Democratic setbacks in the region, in some countries as Venezuela, for instance, are well known. But in other countries such as Chile, Colombia and Peru, Among others, there is a growing commitment to democratic norms and practices which will build a stronger foundation to bolster weak democratic institutions and cultivate a culture of lawfulness. Those who are alive today have the immense privilege of living during a turning point in the history of humankind. Factors such as the technological revolution, epitomized by the Internet and other new communication technologies, and rapid changes in the energy industry and transport. The case for a new Atlantic community infrastructure networks are changing the balances of relationships and power worldwide. The Atlantic Basin must play a decisive role in this change. We have the successful experience of the North Atlantic area in consolidating democracy, freedom, and rule of law. We have huge potential represented for the South Atlantic area in a world demanding that this potential become a reality. A new Atlantic community working for the region as a whole Can help bring prosperity to everyone with the good fortune to live beside this magnificent ocean. And it can also lay the groundwork for the reconstruction of a stable international order based on international law and shared principles. I appreciate very much the contribution of. Gaff, of Enrique Garcia, of these ideas. And I hope that we have the opportunity to look and see the triumph of these ideas in the next future. Thank you very much for your attention.
0: Your um, intervention. This is uh, Dr. Mendez. I'm the co founder of the Global South Unit. Um, I was wondering if you could um, tell us a little bit more about how Spain is looking at Latin America. Things have changed a lot in the last several years, the dynamics have changed, and I think now Spain is looking to Latin America in a different way. So I was wondering if you could perhaps expand on that. Well,
1: I think in the last decades, the most important change of, in the approach of Spain of Latin America if we put apart all his, history, culture, and language, and, and a lot of things, indispensable to understand the rest, is uh, the economic investment of... Uh, the prep, first, first of all, the presence of the, Spanish, uh, of the Spain in the, in the European Union, and second, the pro- economic progress in Spain that transformed <laughs> the, the possibilities of the country and that means that Spain becoming the second world major invest ma- investor in Latin America, and in some countries, the first. And uh, this tendency and this commitment is continued. And now the economic presence of, uh, of Spain in Latin America is, uh, is, 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 is a continuity of the not only a policy. A lot of possibilities of the Spanish economy, the present and in the future. But now, for us, one of the, and for me at least, no, one of the most important and relevant questions that uh, I can appreciate in the, in the last uh, years is the increasingly presence of the Latin American investments in Spain, or not in Europe, but in Spain, in a lot of sectors, can okay, now since the financial sector and, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, and the food sector. But uh, it, it's very important because that means as well that the last decade or the last 15 years has been economically extremely relevant for Latin America. And it produced a huge opportunity for a lot of uh, countries in Latin America. We, we're talking about Europe, or about uh, Latin America. We're talking about very diverse Diverse realities. Uh, I, 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 we're talking about Latin America to understand it to fix our region because there's a uh, very huge difference in, in, in the countries. You know. among the countries, this is the same in, in, in Europe. You know. Fortunately for us, in this moment, the economy in Spain, that suffered a lot the consequence of the crisis, is in a process of uh, of recover dynamism. It's Spanish growth is uh, double. The the growth of the eurozone. Some of you can tell me, whether well, the eurozone is not, <laughs> there is not excess almost growth. So it, 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 it is true, but in comparison, we are double that, that the eurozone. But uh, we have very serious problems with the consequences of the social crisis. We have uh, high levels of des- uh, unemployment, are totally unacceptable in Europe in general in, and in Spain as well. But the the reforms especially re- labor reform and financial reform um, uh, that beginning in Spain in the last years, produce a growth in Spain more than 2% per year and uh, produce uh, the creation of new jobs. And the uh, domestic devaluation that is inevitable to do in the country facilitate the process of investments in, in, in Spain. Anyway, the commitment with the Spanish with, the, with uh, from Spain with Latin America is, is, is completely It is no doubt about this but uh, happily for us we receive more and more investments for Latin America and the contribution of the multilateral uh, actors in, in, in this case the CAF <laughs> in, uh, in this process is extremely relevant I think
2: I'm, I'm coming to the-
1: <laughs>
0: thank you very, thank much. you very much. Well, thank you very much again. Well, I think it's it's time to to say goodbye. Huh? Well, uh, really. Uh, from the standpoint of calf and myself, uh, let me first uh, thank uh, very, very much all the distinguished speakers uh, President Arsnar, President Lagos, uh, Jose Miguel, Didi, Operti, Don all of you, which are, I think are an excellent group of speakers and, and that have been so eloquent and they, they brought uh, ideas uh, to the table that are. Uh, quite challenging. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, of thinking that will do, a food for thought in a very complex world as we have seen. And indeed, also, uh, thank you very much to all those who have been active in organizing this event. Uh, of course, to my, my colleagues in, in the LSE, uh, all the efforts that have been put by all of you and my team. And everybody who is in the background, because these conferences are are very complicated. To, it's very nice that they, you are here, and then when you say good morning and goodbye. But to prepare this, it takes a lot of work uh, and thinking and doing things. Uh, what is clear, you know, be impossible. that probably I'll scare you and say that we have a PowerPoint that is going to make a summary of each one of the presentations. <laughs> But that's not the fact. I think the conclusions are in your heads, and the conclusions are something that uh, each one of you will 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 think about. And, and of course, it's a lot of food of, uh, for reflection. And for institutions like CAF, this has been a very very crucial and important input at a time when you know the the role of uh, development banks uh, around the world have to be. A, a rethink, we have to think permanently in, in how to be creative, how to invent ourselves every, every time and this is a perfect time to reinvent ourselves in many aspects because the, the world has to reinvent itself. So thank you, thank you very much and, and I, I hope that we will continue with this excellent initiative. This is the second year and we'll have many more years in the future. And so thank you, thank you. And I will ask uh, Chris on behalf of LSE to say a few words. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much.
2: I only want to, rather than repeat, just reiterate my thanks to to CAF, to the speakers, to the colleagues who helped put this together, those of you who devoted your time to participate in this, It's been a wonderfully enlightening event. It's been one that has opened up a lot of issues, run the gamut, if you like, from contested issues of the global south to new ideas, the Atlantic Basin. So I feel we've covered an enormous amount of geographic and and ideational time. What that suggests to me is that... uh, We should translate those ideas into discussions, and what better way to do so than to go to a wine reception downstairs, one floor. So I can thank you and, and hope to see you downstairs.